You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas Advent series. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're doing a little little mix-up, mash-up every single time with these characters, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Two passages of Scripture we're going to look like Uh, look at tonight. And listen, if I have not met you, my name is Daniel. So blessed to be able to pastor here and and lead here. And it's just a blessing is thinking about a decade, 10 years, pastoring a redemption church. I can't wait to be able to party and to be able to celebrate God's goodness with you, uh, to publicly hear not only stories and not make it about redemption church, but our mission is to pursue and proclaim Jesus. And so we want to be able to, on that Saturday night, uh, worship and sing to him. I have a friend, Pastor Daryl, coming in to give us the word and just to really celebrate God's faithfulness uh, to our church. And I hope that you're reminded that God is faithful to you. And he's going to speak to you tonight as if you have a posture to hear from him as we go to God's word, as we've been doing in this series, the Advent. Uh, if you guys know and you've been taking notes, Advent literally means it's the arrival of a notable person. Uh, it's the arrival of a, a notable thing or an event. And wouldn't you say Christmas is a pretty amazing event? pretty notable. It's pretty impactful in our culture. But theologically speaking, it means the coming, how God became a man to save us from our sin. And we're looking at that as we look at this Christmas story and Jesus uh, coming as a man. God wants to take time for us to actually study his word, uh, to know this event about Jesus, the coming of him, his work, his life, his ministry. And, uh, and that's why he wrote it down for us. And that's why we take time in this series or in this season of Advent, thinking about, okay, I know the culture's thinking about Santa and this is fun tradition, all different stuff, but what does God want to speak to us about this season? Uh, how do we align our lives on his word and his will, we always go to his word because it points us to Jesus. And so um, we're gonna be in Luke chapter two tonight. I'm gonna read actually all of this story. Last week, we looked at the angels and some of it, but we're actually gonna start verses one through 21 and then jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 through 29 as we look at the shepherds tonight. We've looked at the prophets. Last week, we looked at the angels. Tonight, we're looking at the shepherds as we continue to look at this notable person named Jesus who has proclaimed the Christ, Messiah, our Lord, and this incredible event in history. So let's read, let's pray, and let's study together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quintarius uh, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went uh, went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judah, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because uh, he was of the house of the lineage of David. We know through prophecy that's significant and important. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, in the same region, there were shepherds, and they were out at the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this season to remember your work. That's what we want to do now, God. We ask for your spirit to teach. Thank you so much that you know everyone listening to my words right now, God, that you know exactly their future, their plan. You've brought them here tonight to hear your word, and they're expecting you, Lord, to do a great work because you're the God of the universe. And yet what we read is you, you came to be creation. Lord, what you created, you became human. Help us to understand that as we ponder these truths. Lord, we want to study this notable event. We want our eyes to elevate you, Jesus, and our hearts to elevate you and to live for you and to bring you glory as we sang these songs. And with the little that we have, we honor you. We do pray for our church finances with year and giving and tithes and offerings and just thinking about Christmas and the grace and giving gifts to those we love. Lord, we want to be generous as a church. We want to be able to continue to keep our focus on you, Lord, and, and give. And we pray for wisdom and generosity. Lord, we thank you so much how you have provided, and we know the Lord, you're gonna provide for all of us. And so God, even when you provide in ways that we may not want to do or take and cut back or whatever it may be, Lord, we know that you're sovereign, that you have a plan. We even see it in this, Mary going to an end, but yet you made a way for her to be able to give birth to the Savior. So help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, got a heart that's soft and wants to be obedient to you. As we look to your word, continue to equip us to do the work that only you can do through us, God. It's not by might nor by strength, but by your spirit. So we ask for your spirit to come now. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, Luke chapter two, it's a familiar story. You may or may not have heard this story before. Uh, Linus in Charlie Brown even quotes it. A uh, little, little fun tradition, every year before we open Christmas gifts at our family, uh, we actually 
have my wife uh, say this story, not all of these verses, but some of these verses. She memorized it when she was very young, and it's still very familiar to our family. Culturally, it's a familiar story. But I think that as we study God's word and as we even studied some of this story last week, we could continue to lose wonder at the reality of Christ, that God became a man. And this passage is telling us something significant where we have to learn this and have this in our hearts and ask the Spirit to teach us of just the simple fact that God is with us, Emmanuel. Now, there are many commentaries on this, but the Bible actually gives you commentary on the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul would write about the significance of this moment or this story or event in history. He would put it this way. Though he, speaking of Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being formed in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. There was a reason why God became a man. Don't forget that Jesus became a man, did ministry, had a work, a life, a a plan according to the Father and died on the cross, rose again. And it's all throughout the Christmas story. The angels are proclaiming glory to God in the highest because of what he's done. They're marveled at this good news, the gospel. I wrote this, Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born to Mary and Joseph. He was already existed before creation. He already existed. And we read that in John's account, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. Colossians chapter 1 talks about him. He formed everything. He was in the beginning. He, he didn't just come into existence. He became human form now. 1 Peter 1.20 talks about that. Even Jesus' highly priest prayer, when he's talking to the Father and just being raw with the Lord, he knows and he says that he was existed before humans even were formed. Jesus was fully God, and yet in this moment, he becomes fully man. It's mind-boggling. Now, I'm going to keep the street going because the last two weeks I've given you articles or sort of uh, things to go. I'm going to give you another article by a good friend of mine, Pilgrim Benham. He pastors over on the west coast of Florida. He wrote an article about the incarnation and the importance of the incarnation uh, that I'll share on social media this week with you. But he sort of highlights uh, four reasons why Jesus became a man. And you can read it on your own, but I think they're important. Scripture says to it, it could be a whole message in and of itself. But I like giving you guys a lot of Bible commentary and content, so enjoy this. We know, we looked at, remember the first passages with the prophets, the Hebrews chapter one, that one, Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus said, Thomas, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's something about incarnation, being of flesh, knowing that Jesus, you can look and see how would God act in that situation. We can actually go to scripture and say, that's how he did it. He came to reveal the Father. There's something amazing about having that example, and Jesus was coming for that. He came, number two, to reveal, uh, to redeem mankind. Now, Galatians chapter four, uh, four, verse five, talks about how Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem us, those that are under the law. You may know his teaching in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. There was a purpose and a plan for his ministry, and he had to start but also finish well, and he came to redeem. And let me just praise God, he, uh, he did redeem. He did die on the cross, and three days later, he rose again, and he gives salvation, and he says you can have eternal life in him, okay? Number three, he came to rule and reign over creation. 
You see, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13 talks about how Jesus was coming through the promised lineage of David to rule and reign. And it was important for us to understand that. This is what the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, that he'll actually rule and reign. And we actually look forward to not only his first coming, but his second coming. He's going to rule and reign on this earth. And he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, or as Hebrews 1, 8 tells us this. He's not like an angel. He's greater than. He's going to rule and reign. And he should rule and reign in our lives right now as we see his great love and how he came. Now, lastly, Pilgrim says, he came to relate to us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 tells us that. He's our high priest. He's interceding for us right now. He knows your pain. He cares for you. It's something to marvel at that God himself knows what we're going through, has dealt with temptation, has been dependent on the Father through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he gives us a command, he first walked that out for us. Now, another theologian, J.I. Packer, he says this, the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human body, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Have you processed, have you fathomed, have you thought about it? Maybe reading that article will help, maybe thinking about the story and reading. But I love how the incarnation of God shows us the beautiful attribute of Jesus because Paul said, because he humbled himself, God elevated him and lifted him up. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. We see the humility and the perfect humility and submission of Jesus to the Father. You see the fruit of that all around because Satan is blinding people's eyes, this fallen angel and the demonic activity and people are living for themselves and they're elevating themselves. And we see the fruit of that in our lives right now in this world because it's broken. But in Jesus, we see perfection because he lived this life without sin. And we see this beautiful attribute of Jesus' humility. In David Guzik's commentary about Philippians 2, he elaborates on this beautiful truth of Jesus' humility and how Jesus humbled himself. And let me just read this for you as you process with me about just God and what's happening in this moment. Speaking of Jesus, he was humble and that he took on the form of a man and not a more glorious creation like an angel. He was humble in that he was born into an absurd, oppressed place. He was humble in that he was born into poverty among the despised people. He was humbled in that he was born as a child instead of appearing as a man. Jesus was humbled in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in an actual household. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and a humble trade of a builder. He was humble in the long wait until he waited to launch his public ministry. He was humble in the companions and the disciples he chose. He was humble in the audience he appealed to in the way that he taught. Remember, Jesus taught in that common language. He was humbled in the temptations that he actually allowed and then endured. He was humbled in weakness and hunger and thirst and tiredness he endured. He was humbled in his total obedience to his heavenly father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of the cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. 
Jesus was humble in the shame, the mocking, the public humiliation of his death. He was humble in enduring the, spirit, uh, the spiritual agony of his sacrifice on the cross. There's a beautiful humbleness of Jesus that we see in the birth and in this story. For he's coming to earth as a human to show us his great humility. And we should know this when we think about God's ways and how he does things because the prophet Isaiah, as we looked at in the first week, he gives another word of the Lord to us to realize who God is. In Isaiah 55, 9, he says that as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so as far my ways then are higher and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is so much greater, so much bigger, and yet he's coming into humanity, breaking through, and it's through the path of being humble, not pride. And we see this truth lived out in Jesus and as coming a man and becoming a man, but we also see this truth of the importance of being humble through the shepherds. Which leads me to my first point as we look at our text in Luke chapter two. God's ways are higher than our ways. Now, I don't know if this is something that I just keep on saying and repeating and learning and growing in because I'm just reminding myself a lot. You know, it's very hard as a pastor to seek God, to pray and understand his will for not only yourself, your family, but then others. And then when he gives you direction to be like, mm, that's not how I do it, God. Are you sure? Like, it's really hard. But I don't think it's because of my leadership position that it's hard. I think it's because I'm human that it's hard. And I think if you're human, it's, it's a hard thing to process sometimes the ways of God and how he does things. One of his strategies is to go, being a God of love is to do things in love. And right now he's doing something in humility of becoming a man. So his method is for us as his followers is to work through humility, to not elevate ourselves, but to serve others and to love others and even our enemies and to do things that are just backwards to our flesh. Because if I was coming as God to earth, I'm not saying I'm God, but I'm just saying, if I was coming to God on earth, this is not the way I'd do it. I wouldn't want to go through the pain. Just like now, I don't want to go through the pain with my foot. They said, don't worry. The more pain you get, you're stretching out, doing a good thing. No, it is not. <laughs> Last week, I told my wife, true story, I was in so much pain swelling up with the boot. I just don't need to walk again. I just don't. I'll just give up walking. I mean, I can still preach without a leg. I don't know anyone that likes this process of pain, but it seems like when you die to yourself, you have pain, don't you? And yet the kingdom of God says when you die to yourself and lose your life, you'll find it and actually have some joy. And we see Jesus doing this. The text says Jesus came as a baby, not even as a grown man. How hard would that be? You talk about patience. I'm on a few months. Jesus had to wait years even just to speak, to talk, to learn, to grow. God chose Mary and Joseph, which we'll look at next week, who were not affluent to be his parents. We know that because in the next text, they gave an offering in the temple. They gave the, the, poor, or the, the, the poor offering. Those that didn't have a lot of money had to give those a different type of offering, and that's the offering they give. 
So much so that when they went in this story to a different town, they couldn't afford the five seasons hotel. There was no room, aka didn't even have money or relationship or influence uh, to be able to have a place to stay. He was born in an inn. You can interpret that any way you want it. It ain't looking good. But verse seven says there was no room in the inn and now he, this is where he's at. And we see, oh, manger, cute. No, it was a feeding trough. Even in our plays, it's more like wood and it's like, oh, little hay and look, wouldn't that be cute? Nah, man, it's not cute. I mean, I've been rolling around on my knee scooter making marks on the house and Laura's getting upset. Can you imagine a woman giving birth to a child and being like, why is there dung from an animal right there? That's the reality of how he came. But yet we know this was the Lord's doing. It wasn't just Jesus. The father had his hand all over this story because he knows, we know Proverbs, he sways leaders and kings. So we have this king here, King Caesar Augustus. He's actually have a registration of the whole world for the first time. Is this coincidence? No. Because Joseph was in the line of David, so he had to go to a certain town, the city of David, which is known as Bethlehem which we know the prophets gave years ago, like Micah 5.2, saying, Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, where are you? are nothing. But yet I'm going to send a scepter coming out of your lineage, going, knowing that he would be birthed in that place. The Messiah would be born. And verse 4 gives us that prophetic view that it's not only in a certain place, but in the line of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This was all leading up. God was actually swaying Caesar Augustus to do a registration and leading Joseph and Mary to travel which I guarantee Mary did not want to do being pregnant. Now, maybe, because remember, they were not not even married. They were betrothed. So they had not consummated the marriage, so she should have not been pregnant. So it was actually a shame on her part that she had to humble herself because people were speaking bad about her. That's why Joseph was going to put away her just quietly and quickly and do that just over there. But the reality is the angel of the Lord came to us and said, no, no, this is a part of God's plan this process. So it's not ideal. So now she's traveling. She's going to this city that's small. And up to this point, you may, okay, great. That's great because prophecy proves the power of God. So all glory to God. We want him to get good. So let's do some prophecy, make sure he's in my, okay. And now let's move on with the story. But he went to Bethlehem and was born there. Not Rome, who was the leading empire, Not even Jerusalem, who is the capital city and well-known. That would be the news of where a savior, a Messiah, they had been, the prophets had been silent from from Malachi for hundreds of years now. That would have been the moment and time to get glory and to shine. And Jesus comes, not even in the capital of the nation that he had prophesied to come in. The next movement in the story is just not one that we expect. The angels which by the way are pretty awesome, pretty powerful beings sent by God to give this message of glory. It says the multitude of hosts came, glory to God in the highest, and surely they're gonna go to people that are influencers, that can spread the word, that could do great things for the Lord, that have been righteous and waiting prophetically for this moment and understand the scriptures, and they're not even in the temple, they're in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. They're outside of Bethlehem, where the shepherds are in the middle of the night where we don't even have a location. God, who could have used all heavenly resources to really announce his coming, I'm finally here. Hey, we got a poor family, but I'm gonna come in here, but make sure they're taken care of. 
Everyone, no, I'm hitting out. You better get your act together. No, none of that. Verse 8 tells us the angels, they come and announce it to a group of shepherds in the middle of nowhere in the same region. So the angel appears announcing the good news of the Savior, and a multitude of heavenly hosts praise God, and the shepherds are dumbfounded. They're in awe. And we would say, okay, well, clearly they're in awe. But there was a reason why they were in awe that's more to the story than just there were angels there. Now, you don't have to study or be a scholar to know that shepherds in the Bible are not really looked upon. I'll give you a few verses and examples. Shepherds were the lower class, marginalized, not really great people back in those days. It started in Genesis chapter 46 when Joseph went to Egypt and he told his brothers as they were coming into the land, uh, Genesis 46, 32 through 34, hey, tell Pharaoh that you're just shepherds. You're not a threat. It literally says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Meaning, oh, they're just shepherds. They're not gonna take over. They're not gonna fight. They're nobodies. Tell them that so you don't get in trouble so they don't even think about you. But it's not just with the Egyptian culture, because remember, the Egyptians, it moves on. They continue to go. We are studying through Exodus. What happened when Moses left the palace? God humbled him, and he went out in the wilderness for 40 years. What was he? A shepherd. It's a very humbling state to do things that other people don't want to do, that no one cares about you. Jethro had the position, had the authority, had the sheep, but Moses served as a shepherd to learn humility, to be able to lead God's people because this is the way of God, humility. Or what about King David? We elevate King David, of course. He did a great work for the Lord, but don't overlook his calling because he was just a poor shepherd boy that his father, Jesse, actually overlooked to even call in when the great prophet came to the house he didn't even say, David, go get my son. Samuel said, get all your sons. And Jesse got his other sons besides David because David was the youngest and he was the shepherd. He was the nobody. Surely God could not pick the nobody. But the Lord told the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance, speaking of this elderly guy or the guy that looked good or we should expect, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord looks not on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He sees something different. There's a different way about him. But even if you don't know the Bible, what really makes sense to us in the 21st century is that you, with an important announcement, you would go to the crowds, right? Or at least people of influence, of great reputation, Right? We all know that if there's a billion-dollar club, they get invited, they can afford it. You guys may have been overlooked at your job or your position because of your status or money or, or maybe even your race or your position, whatever may be. We know what the world does to the rejects, the nobodies, the losers, and we know how hard that feels to not belong. Those were the shepherds. Now the story's hidden home. Because God reveals himself to those guys, the lowly, the rejects of society, the outcast, the non-movers and shakers, the shepherds. 
Is it any wonder why they were so excited they left their entire job and all of the flock and went to go straight to the sign? Now, were they excited because of the angels? Yes, but the angels had a message. That's what an angel means, a messenger of God from God, and God was revealing to them the Messiah, which means God chose them. He could have done anything. We just see he had the multitude of heavenly hosts come and reveal this to them, and he could have done anything, but they were excited. They left their flock to go see this sign, a baby in swaddling clothes, because his ways, his method, is not like the world's method or like you and I's method at times. But man, aren't you so grateful for his ways being higher than our ways? Because it means he chooses the lowly. It means that he chooses everyday marginalized people, that we don't have to have a million dollars to be in the club. You don't have to tithe a certain amount to be a Christian. Matter of fact, you don't have to do anything. God pursued these shepherds. Did you notice that it was in a field and not a temple? It's not like they were the righteous Pharisees doing good, doing good, doing good, so God's gonna reveal. They were, it doesn't even, text doesn't even say they were seeking God, but he sought them, just like all of us in our salvation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His ways are higher than our ways. He doesn't just go after the high or the, the influers, the mighty, but the low and the humble people he seeks because he pours out grace to those that are humble that would follow his ways. So he goes to the shepherds and it shows us that he has a different method than sometimes we think. But we also see that the shepherds teach us about who God is because God uses weak people. God made known this gospel, this good news to the shepherds so they would know him. So they would come to understand who he is. The shepherds didn't earn this privilege or salvation. It was by God's grace to them, just like by God's grace we are saved. They were weak and they were unable to save themselves and yet God proactively pursue him. He came down and he revealed Jesus, just like how we in our state are weak and unable to save ourselves, but God proactively reveals to us that he comes down from heaven to earth to save us. These shepherds are no different than all of humanity and the people that we read in the Bible. We need grace. We all need grace because we're weak. We're imperfect. But we smile because we know that God gives grace and pursues us. So much so that he not only would come and give this good news, this gospel, but then he would give them a calling. He would save them from sin for a purpose. Notice how they went about and saying like, now go tell other people. The shepherds left that field and went to the town of Bethlehem, proclaiming all that God was doing. God wanted to use these shepherds for his glorious plan to reveal the gospel to others and to minister. They were imperfect people and God still loved them and still used them. That should resonate because we're imperfect people and God still loves us and wants to use us. Now, can you imagine Mary not only being shocked, being in an end, after literally having prophetic visions and dreams and like angels of visiting and like, okay, great, I'm going to be the Messiah. My life's going to be all better and amazing as a Christian, right? Uh, not still the case. Jesus said, you're going to have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer for I am with you. And Jesus literally came. And so she's tired. It's rough. She had birth. 
labor pains. Now, can you imagine random shepherds now then showing up? Now, it's cool to have visitors and like, you know, the whole meal chain and people bring stuff like the wise men. We know historically they came a couple of weeks later because the star brought some silver, gold, myrrh. It's amazing. You should read about it. Matthew chapter two, I believe. Uh, It's a great story. It's awesome. This is like, and the night of Jesus' birth, non-makeup Mary going through labor pains now has visitors. That's rough, man. But yet, verse 19 says something significant in that moment, that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered in her heart. Yes, these shepherds had come and maybe have been a bad time because God's ways are higher than our ways. It's not really great. Sometimes the timing of God is important. It's not always our timing we want. But it was through their obedience of going to see the sign and telling all that the angels had done that actually ministered to Mary and built her faith. Because have you ever had that moment where you've had a vision, a prophetic word, and it didn't go as planned? And you thought, man, am I crazy? Did I just make that up? Honestly, I've loved how we've been having people speak in tongues at our church publicly, and then there's another like interpretation from someone else or a few people. Because literally when that happens, it's happened to me when I spoke in tongues and had interpretation, you're like, whew, glad I wasn't making that up. Because sometimes your mind can get wrapped around like, okay, is God doing this? And I, I think he called me and he wanted me to do this. And, but then all of a sudden, Mary has these people, these shepherds, that they, they're having visits from angels too and visions and saying this is the Messiah. I'm not making this up. And she pondered in her heart all these things. And we know she was, a God, she was one that praised God. First, her response probably was like, why are you here? And then they actually said, well, God revealed this to us. And they, they, we saw that there's God on the move and he said that the glory to God in the highest and there'd be a sign to us. They'd be swat, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Can you imagine how that would feel? Why are you here? I can a little bit. Thinking about our anniversary and the service and moving to Delray, and that's one thing we'll do on Sunday morning, that service. I'm gonna share the history of our story of how we actually got here, because I know a lot of you haven't heard that and all the details and fun God stories, but when people ask me why I moved to Florida, I get to say God. It's pretty fun. It's pretty confident. It's just God sent us here. Parachute, didn't didn't know anyone. God said, Delray Beach, audible voice, heard it, went. You know what's amazing and a fun life as a Christian? God gives us purpose. Why are you living? Bring glory to God. You can have confidence in your purpose. There are certain things in scripture where you can say, man, he's given me gifts. He's given me talent. He wants me to love. Why am I here on this earth right now? Probably to love my family, probably to share the gospel, probably to be here in this prophetic plan that God has for my life. And that's what these shepherds are saying. God loves us. He saves us, but he has a purpose for us. We're here because God sent us, because we're to proclaim the good news. We wanted to see this sign. Man, we're just blown away. And verse 18 tells us that the shepherds also made known this glorious event and this news to the town. They were just wherever they were going. We have purpose. We saw these things. They were testifying or being a witness. And the Bible says in Acts, and now that we've been snatched from darkness into light, we, by the power of God, are witnesses as well to the good news, to make and praise the excellencies of him who called us. He's called us for a purpose. 
So verse 18 says, as they're going about living this life, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. Because they were speaking, they were heralding, they were proclaiming this good news. And after they saw Jesus in verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it had been told to them. They were in awe that God had done because he used them. I hope that you can have a sense of awe of God experiencing his spirit use you, praying for someone for years and seeing them finally come to Christ, sharing the gospel and leading someone in a prayer of salvation, saying, no, but if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Or even giving a meal or finances or Christmas gifts in the season to loved ones and just being used by God is so, it's an amazing feeling. And he wants us all to be used by God because he tells us not only to love him with all of our heart, but to love one another. And he calls us his body to minister and to share the good news and to be like these shepherds, these weak human beings, not angels, but they were able to proclaim the good news to others and build other people's faith up. They were not only weak humans, but weak according to human standards, being shepherds. You don't have to have a degree. You know, I don't have a seminary degree. I'm still being used by God, a pastor ordained. You don't have to have certain requirements that the world thinks. You don't have to have a lot of money to be used in a mighty way. Remember Jesus called some people, hey, lay, look at that woman. All these people were given all this money. Look at that woman, though. She's given like just this two pennies, these mites. And she said, she's giving everything she gave. And God honored that. Or if you give a glass of water in his name, he'll honor that. If you love someone in his name, he'll honor that. It's not the high and mighty. God calls the low. And just so that we understand this doctrine and know this, the apostle Paul would commentate on this because he was pulled from being a martyr, uh, not a martyr, but martyring Christians and a murder, killing people and murdering people to a saint. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, we read it, but I want to read it again. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. There is a standard that the world gives that says these people are important, and God says, I'm not going to choose that way. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. It's not, all that, it's not saying that all Christians are stupid and they're not wise. No, there are brilliant Christians. Many of the scientists are like Christians and study that because God gave them a brain. But compared to world standards, there is a different standard and a requirement for salvation and the calling. And it does not become with you elevating yourself and puffing yourself up in pride. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the pride. And you don't have to have a certain standard that the world elevates. We don't have to be elite or even special we just have to be human and recognize our need that we are weak and we need God's grace, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that all have sinned and we need God's grace and his mercy to have our salvation in him and to be used by him. Paul would say, but God, God chose what is lowly or what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God do this? Why does God use us? To show how powerful he is, to bring him glory. Our calling, our salvation is not just about us. 
The angels marvel at our salvation. God gets glory by saving us, pursuing us, electing us, calling us. And it should cause us to be praising God just like these shepherds at the end of the story. Telling other people about God's good news because it's not that he is a higher way and he's so powerful and he just doesn't even care about our lowly ways. No, we do things different than God. We even rebel against God. But it leads me to the third point. God still loves us. This is so significant. As we close, this last point, to bring your attention, he redeems us. He uses imperfect people like you and me, but it's because he loves us. Hopefully, we have John 3.16 memorized by now, but for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When we think about this story of why did God do this, the why, it's love. The shepherds represent all of humanity and should remind us that this wonderful news is for everyone because they weren't elite. They were the everyday working class citizen. And yet we find God's love directly impacting their life, being poured out upon them. Isn't this wonderful news for me and you? That we can be who God made us to be, even flawed, that we don't have to actually pretend to be so perfect or religious, but we can say, God, I repent and turn to you, forgive me, and he does. He still loves us despite who we are. This is the gospel, this is good news, and this is the reason why he came, to manifest his love to us on a cross and to save us. Jesus poured out his love for you and me with the joy set before him, it's not the way that I would go, not what I would do, but there was a joy in his humility. And we walk in God's ways, we'll receive a joy as well too. Scripture tells us now as we gather in his name, we're always to remember his great love and his grace for his people and his ways that he does things. By taking communion, by understanding that it was by grace that we're saved. For even that is higher than our ways. He didn't come as Lord and King. He came as a servant to serve, to make a way. And so now when we as this church come together, we remember his great love. We recognize that there's grace for us all, just like there was grace for these shepherds because Jesus shed his blood for you and me. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He died, shed his blood. But three days later, he rose again ascended to the Father, and now he is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, not even going to partake in anything of the vine, wine, juice, nothing, until he sees us again at that great feast. It's the Advent season. He came. Communion reminds us he's coming again. And he's coming for the lowly, for the brokenhearted, for those that need a Savior. Remember, it was his idea to be called Savior. And now the Bible says if we call upon his name, all who call upon his name shall be saved. And so realize that this season, you are loved. Invite others to know this love. Share the gospel. Be used by God. The Spirit of God invites us to receive this salvation through Jesus. And the shepherds show us God's great love for us all, that he wants to use people like you and me and he proactively does so because his ways are higher than our ways. So let's pray, let's 
close in communion and let's celebrate this truth. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, we even just pray, God, that whether people are listening here right now or even online later, that they would call upon your name. I thank you, God, it's so simple that we can just repent of our sin, believe that you, profess that you are Lord, believe that you died and rose again and we will be saved. And we wanna do that now and recognize that now by taking communion together, even as different fellowships are in the room. Lord, it's not our denomination that we're identified with. We are beloved sons and daughters. And we come to the table, to the cross, remembering how we become saved is by humility. Thank you for this example, God, by you humbling yourself and becoming human. It doesn't end with you being a baby, but man, it sure starts with a bang. For you to even be dependent so much on parents like Mary and Joseph. We thank you, God, for your humility. We thank you, God, that it didn't just start with you being a baby, but you walked a humble life depending on the spirit took on our sin, died on the cross, kept on being dependent on the Father, seeking him through prayer, and even now, Lord, interceding for us. Help us to be humble. Help us to recognize you. Help us to worship you and to meditate and to ponder on this truth. I love you, Lord, and we thank you that we continue to give you recognition during this season of Christmas. And may we do so right now as we partake communion together. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.